make that money DraftKings session number 10 UFC Andrade versus Zhang spectate while your pockets accumulate Make that money. DraftKings Sessions number 10. We've hit in 10 episodes. We hit the double digits, people. And I appreciate you tuning in and making that money. I'm your host, Uber Mike. And we're here to break down UFC China. Not as big as UFC 241, but small card, big card, doesn't matter. Opportunity to get into DraftKings or if you're a betting man to get into your bookies and make that money. Before we get into the breakdown of this card, some quick channel business. If you've never played DraftKings, click on the link below. I made a video two weeks back in regards to how all that works. So you can get signed up, get in the game, and leverage these DraftKings sessions. If you already have a DraftKings account, then tune in. Check out the UFC 241 lineup strategy video that I also have linked in the description. So you can, you know see how i go about building a lineup and such and leverage that for this card or if you just want me to go ahead and make like a new video for that or start a whole new series about that then leave it in the comments as well in addition we're seven subscribers away on the youtube channel from hitting the triple digits to 100 subscribers so if we can hit that then i'll do a live stream for the ufc 242 card khabib versus poirier because it's being aired at a decent time in the afternoon wake up early in the morning y'all see me crack a coffee shout at fighters when they're bsing and get hooping and hollering and going crazy when my fighters hit it big whatever man it's a live stream it's fun we're all gonna get in it gonna do what we gotta do so go ahead subscribe like share this with your friends and let's make this thing happen also in regards to this breakdown, names will be pronounced wrong because we have a lot of debutantes. This is taking place in China, so we have a lot of China-based fighters on this card, and we're going to make it do what we do. But I've studied all the fights. I've broken down all the tapes. The DraftKings prices are out, so it's now time to get into it and make that money, plain and simple. So with no further ado, let's go ahead and get into the main event. We have Jessica Andrade at the DraftKings price of 8700 versus Wei Li Zhang at the DraftKings price of 7500 And with Jessica Andrade, man, Jessica Andrade is the terminator of the 115-pound strawweight division. This girl doesn't stop. She has a tenacious, never-say-die pace, comes forward, unloads hooks, which has taken victims of girls like Carolina Kovacavich and other girls in the 150-pound division and puts hands on them. On top of that as well, relentless pressure, as I mentioned earlier before, and this girl has takedowns, but not your normal, let me get you down to the ground, score points. She wants to pick you up, slam you down, and make you forget about what you ate for breakfast that respective day. Jessica Andrade is a destroyer. If you look at her respective weaknesses, it's really her technique her technique is absolutely lacking typically she's all heart all strength all tenacity that's literally her game from the opening bell to the closing bell so a lot of girls like hoana uh hoana young jacek if i'm saying her name correctly when jessica andrage fought her for the belt jessica andrage was getting picked apart because hoana's striking is pretty good She's able to keep her distance, able to stick to jab, stick to straight, keep everything long. And even Rose Nama Nunez, who Jessica beat in order to get the 115-pound championship, Jessica was getting pieced up in that fight as well. And she got cracked. She got dropped in the first round. It looked like she was on the way to losing that fight. But she literally just gritted through, did what she had to do, and slammed my girl Rose Nama Nunez on her head and knocked her out and took the belt. And Jessica Andrade's pressure, man, it's just that pressure and that tenacity. If she was a male fighter, then her game would be super limited. A lot of fighters will be able to be here. But because women's MMA is still evolving, that sort of style that she has breaks a lot of women down and makes her a super value on this card. But looking at her opponent, Wei Li Zhang, Wei Li Zhang is the uh, Chinese fighter 
who is t coming in and taking on Jessica Andrade. She's had three respective bouts in the UFC so far, and 19-1, and she definitely is a veteran. And what she brings to the table is mostly kicks, you know, kicks to the knees, kicks to the body, kicks to the legs, etc. Respectable movement. Like, she just doesn't stand there and get blasted. She'll move left and right and such. Pretty educational. On top of that as well, straight punches, things of that such. Like, just a good overall fighter. And she can also go for takedowns as well. And she also has attacks from her back. But whenever you look at Wei Li Zhang's weakness, it's just she gets hit. Not getting hit in regards to, oh, she's just open to get blasted on or destroyed. Just girls that she's been able to outmatch or out finesse and such, she ends up getting tagged by those respective girls who lack the power that Jessica Andrade has. And whenever Wei Li Jing does get hit, she tends to do a little chicken dance. She tends to get a little wobbled. And so it just makes you wonder, like, if she's getting wobbled by these shots, will she be able to handle Jessica Andrade's shots? We don't really know. Another thing as well is if you look back at the Jessica uh, Aguilar fight, which is her second fight in the UFC, I'm talking about Wei Li Zhang here. Jessica Aguilar isn't very good. She primarily wants to wrestle, but she's just not a top talent. And she was able to get in in the clinch, get in on Wei Li Zhang. And even though she failed to take her down, it makes you wonder, like, if Jessica Aguilar, who's super slow, super unathletic, super unimpressive, is able to get inside on Wei Li Zhang and do that, then what's Jessica Andrade going to do? Which leads me to the fight prediction. I see Jessica Andrade winning this bout by unanimous decision. That's just giving a lot of respect to Wei Li Zhang because Jessica Andrade just has this nasty pressure, nasty power, nasty takedowns that gave Hoanna trouble. Didn't really give Hoanna trouble because she won her bout against Andrade, but it was giving Hoanna like fits in regards to like Jessica Andrade was able to get in there, wrestle her, do what she needs to do. And that, and also, Jessica Andrade was able to do the same thing against Thug Rose. And Thug Rose's boxing was really well. Really good technical boxing for the 115-pound division. And same for Hoanna. And so now we have Wei Li Zhang coming in. And you have to really ask yourself, is Wei Li Zhang able to execute the same sort of game plan, the same sort of stand-up as those two respective women? I don't think so. And then going into the DraftKings price, Jessica Andrade at 8700 is is a bargain, man. If you look at her point outputs on DK, she scores like 90 points, 100 points in a win. Like she just gets after. She gives you the takedown. She gives you the pressure. She basically fights for your money. And even if she does lose, like when her last loss against Hoanna, she scored about 50 points, 40 points. And so... With Wei Li Zhang at 7,500, you can roster her because, hey, she's in China. If this fight happens to be close, then she can get the nod. She can give you bang for the buck for 7,500. But then with Wei Li Zhang, I just don't see what she can necessarily bring to keep Andrade off and to secure a win. Because Andrade was able to get in and wear out Thug Rose, even though Thug Rose was giving her the business in the first round and able to knock her out, and she's able just to get after these girls and have, and she has a never-say-die kind of attitude. And with Wei Li Zhang, she has to bring something, there's something out, and I just don't know what she's going to bring out. So at the drafting price of 7500 Wei Li Zhang is rosterable if you believe she's able to keep this fight close and she's able to secure a dub. Because, you know, she's in China, hometown advantage. But I see Jessica Andrade going in there, getting nasty, getting tenacious, getting the job done, and giving you a 100-point performance. In the co-main event, we have Alessio Zaleski at the DraftKings price of 9200 versus Jing Lang Li at the DraftKings price of 7000 And with Zaleski, Zaleski is currently on a seven-fight win streak in the 170-pound division. Initially, whenever he got into the UFC, he was a bit wild, a bit kind of here and there, willing to get into a brawl, has great cardio, has these crazy capoeira kicks where he just throws these crazy spinning kicks and such. It's a really exciting fighter to see. But in his last three fights, he's been getting pretty impressive finishes. And not just impressive, like the competition's good, just really flashy, really great finishes, like make you get up from your seat. Awesome. And... Not only that, 
he's also been fighting a lot more smarter as well. In his previous fight against Curtis Millender, Curtis Millender has zero ground game. And Curtis Millender was the favorite in that respective bout. And Aleski was able to utilize his ground game to take Millender down, take him to the ground, do what he needs to do. And against other fighters as well, he's just able to pick whatever weakness is there and then take that fight there. Super well-rounded guy, not a master of any particular aspect of MMA, but then he's able to decipher, say, okay, I need to do X, Y, and Z in order to win the fight, and then goes in and does that. If I see any respective weakness in regards to Zaleski, I would say it's in his hands. His hands aren't necessarily impressive. He's not like a boxing maestro by any stretch of the imagination, but then he's able to cover that with other aspects of his game. He blends his game together in order to cover those respective weaknesses. Another thing too is going back to the hands thing as well. When he does decide to box and then get involved in that kind of stand-up game, he is hittable and he can, you know, he can get tagged. He can get hurt. It happened in the Lyman Good fight and it also happened in the Max Griffin fight whenever he got, that was a barn burn. He got wobbled pretty badly in that fight, but he was able to push through and do what he needs to do. And then we have his opponent, Jingling Lee, coming here he's the hometown fighter in china and this guy man this guy is he's wild man like he comes in primarily a striker that's all he's going to do he wants to walk you down he wants to move his head side to side his head movement really isn't the best but then he wants to walk you down mix in kicks mix in punches and then just kill you with volume just kill you with volume tko you with volume doesn't necessarily have the one shot pop or the one shot kill shot with his boxing but if you let him get his game off, he's able to drown you. Also, incredibly tough, incredible cardio, keeps an incredible pace. And not just an incredible pace that it wears out the opponent. It's just an incredible pace because if we go into his weaknesses, one thing I did notice on the tape is he tends to get dropped. Every first round I've watched, he, gets, he keeps his hands relatively low. Like I said, he moves his head but doesn't move his head very well. It gets hit falls to the ground, but he's able to recover super quick, get back in the fight, do what he needs to do. Another weakness I, wrote, I mentioned with uh, Jingling Lee as well, doesn't really shoot for takedowns. And when opponents shoot takedowns on him, if they have really good wrestling chops or grappling chops, he ends up hitting the canvas. He fights to get back up. He just doesn't lay there and say die, which is great. But then that's concerning because it tends to mess up with his rhythm whenever he is standing up. But going into the fight prediction of this co-main event, I see uh, Ales Alessia Saleski winning this bout by decision. This is a super close fight. This definitely isn't a slam dunk for Zaleski due to the fact that it's in China, even though that's going to be a narrative that's going to be repeated a lot in this episode, but it's in China. So if this fight is close, you never know what it's going to look like on the scorecards. On top of that as well, if Zaleski is able to play this fight smart, and blend his game and not fall into a brawl like he's done in past fights before going on his oppressive win streak, he should be able to beat Jing Lang Lee. But then if he engages in the brawl, Jing Lang Lee has the boxing advantage in this bout, and he definitely will edge Aleski on the scorecards in China if Aleski decides, hey, I want to throw hands with this guy. I think I'm Floyd Mayweather. I think I could put on the show for, these, for the people. But... Like I mentioned before, Oleski, super well-rounded. His kick game is very varied. He has these explosive moments in fights where he can just throw a flying knee out of nowhere, a spinning Caporero kick out of nowhere. And with Zingli Lee just coming in zombified and coming in kind of like reckless at times, he can potentially get caught and get KO. But then he's really tough. I see Oleski winning this fight by unanimous decision. And then going into DraftKings, Zaleski at the DraftKings price of 9,200. He is rosterable, but then, like I mentioned in the previous episodes before, if you're going to roster someone in the $9,000 range, they got to give you bang for the buck. And I see this as a pretty close matchup on paper. I mean, it's a great live betting situation, definitely. But then, 9,200, that's just, I, he, you need Celeste to go in there and just wipe this guy. And then guys he was able to wipe out before, he typically got around like 78 points, 80 points or so in those respective contests just because now that he's finding a lot more smarter and using a lot more of his overall game, it's 
he's not really headhunting. He's not really putting himself out there like he did earlier in his UFC career to get caught. So 9,200, you can roster him here and there, but then that is something that you have to take into account when rostering Zaleski. And with Jang Ling Lee at 7,000, very good price. Lee is super live in this fight. If Lee is able to suck Zaleski into a brawl, or he is able to put the pressure on Zaleski and nullify his takedowns, nullify his kicking game, keeping keep him boxing ring, keeping him in, in his face and everything, then he could definitely edge out and win this fight. And even if he were to lose, he has a pretty good floor of, let's say, 20 points, 30 points. I think like 40 points or so was like his best floor. So if you're looking for like a safe floor for a low uh, price fighter on DK, definitely super rosterable. But do keep in mind, you will have a little bit of a heart attack in the first round when he gets knocked down because it's happening every single fight. And it makes you wonder how long can you do that until one day getting knocked down in the first round actually leads to him getting TKO'd. Something to seriously consider. In the next bout, we have Kai Kara France at the DraftKings price of 9100 versus Mark De La Rosa at the DraftKings price of 7100 And Kai Kara France, KKK, this guy, man... I, this guy's boosted. I don't get where the love is coming from. I mean, the good thing is he trains at the same facility as Israel, uh, Israel Adesanya, who's fighting Robert Whitaker later on in October. But other than that, this guy, look at the record, 19-7. and seven, He's just getting, he's he's a huge favorite in this bout, which rightfully so. He has the tools to beat Mark De La Rosa, but let's just get into it. Strengths, he has... He has like this sort of like he has good movement and not only good movement, but whenever he's able to get into the pocket with his strikes, primarily like a like a boxer. I wouldn't say necessarily a boxer, but he prefers to use his hands. He's able to slip his head off the center line and then throw looping punches over the top. So he'll typically throw like an overhand right, slip his head off the center line and come back with a left hook or come back with like an uppercut or something of that sort. But then typically at the most, he'll throw like two or three punches, not like a huge volume but like i said respectable movement respectable punches but if we look at his respective weaknesses one thing i noticed with him is whenever you're able to kick his legs like his previous opponent paiva did it slows down his mobility and it makes him a lot more hittable also as well when the opponent is able to get in his face and start slugging it out with him as well he is hittable because even though he's able to move his head off the center line here and there if you go in and you throw a combination or two, he's not the head movement maestro. Like, those punches will follow up and hit him. Another thing, too, he doesn't really go for takedowns. He's primarily a striker. And even though he does have knockouts in his record, those are from the regional scene against absolute jobbers. And so far in the UFC, he had an impressive debut. But his previous fight, I it's arguable that he lost that fight. And so him coming in as a big favor in this bout, I don't, I don't know where that's coming from, but like I said, Kai Kara France brings great striking to this respective bout. And then looking at his opponent, Mark De La Rosa, Mark De La Rosa, he trains out of factory X. He splits his time between factory X and his hometown gym in Fort Worth. He, he is a black belt in jujitsu, but whenever you watch him fight, he primarily, comes forward, throws calf kicks, and whenever he does get in the boxing range, he likes to sit down on his punches and then just throw combinations. But then within that respective striking realm, you notice that he drops his hands and he keeps his chin kind of up in the air. So far, he's been able to take shots because he's been fighting bouts at 125 and at 135, and he's been fighting some pretty respectable competition compared to Kai Kara France. But then... Whenever it comes to him using his black belt credentials in this in this in these fights, his takedowns aren't good. Typically, if he is able to execute a takedown, he has to get his opponent up against the fence, put his weight on them, and then hopefully grind them down to the floor. If he shoots a takedown from open space, the takedowns are absolutely garbage. They get stuffed, and then he has to go back to his striking, where even though it's not pretty. It's just, it's the way he has to go about going into his fights. But whenever he is able to get the fight to the ground, like he did against his opponent, I believe his, his opponent is, uh forgot his name, but he, the only submission win he has in his respective UFC bout, 
his submission technique is sound, especially from dominant uh, positions like taking the opponent's back or such. He's able to sink those submissions in, do what he needs to do. But off his back, his submissions aren't necessarily there. And even when he's taken down on his back, it doesn't really try to get back up or do anything. He just, it kind of goes through the motions. It, it's, he's a weird case. But in regards to the fight predictions, I see Mark De La Rosa winning this bout by split decision. Mark De La Rosa has to fight a very grimy, heavy fight. Kind of like Paiva did when he fight Kai Kara-France. He needs to get in the Kai Kara-France's face. He needs to throw those calf kicks, which is going to be huge in order to slow down Kai Kara-France. On top of that as well, he needs to get in the pocket with them and throw multiple combinations and keep pushing forward. So in the judges' scorecards, he say, hey, he's showing aggression. He's landing strikes. Here you go. Kai Kara-France will have his moments where he's able to land strikes on Mark De La Rosa because Mark De La Rosa doesn't necessarily move his head. But... If Mark De La Rosa just shows a lack of urgency like he did in his last bout against Alex Perez or his debut bout against, I believe, uh, Tim Elliott, yes, Tim Elliott, then Kai Carafance will run away with this fight. 29-28, Kai Carafance, easy. But I believe this is a super close matchup. And going into the DraftKings price, this shouldn't be that huge of a discrepancy. This is a close fight based on how it goes. And looking at Kai Carafance at the DraftKings price of 9100 Kai Kara France, I'm a, I don't know, I don't know where this boost is coming from. I don't know where this like favoritism is coming from with him. But at 9100, it goes back to the uh, Oleski Oleski co-main event fight that I talked about previously. You need a 90 point, 100 point performance, and I don't think Kai Kara France is necessarily going to give that to you. In his debut, he was able to get 104 points, but then the guy he was fighting was an absolute coward. Just gave up. And in the previous fight against Paiva, when he won by split decision, he was a $9,000 fighter then, and he scored 69 points. Doesn't bring a lot unless it's striking. And unless Mark De La Rosa forgets how to box on his flight way to, on his way to China, I just don't see him scoring a lot of points, even if he were to win, unless he sleeps Mark De La Rosa. But Mark De La Rosa is tough as nails, man. And if you look at Mark De La Rosa at 7,100, that is a good, cheap play for a possible win. This is a winnable fight for Mark De La Rosa. Just, he needs to fight the perfect fight. Hopefully, Factory X is in his corner compared to whoever the hell was in his corner whenever he fought Alex Perez. Some, I think that was like his uncle or something. It was terrible. Wasn't good. So, Mark De La Rosa, definitely rosterable in my opinion. Kai Kara France, roster him maybe in one lineup, but I, I'm not touching him at all just because he just doesn't bring enough. In the next bout, we have Mozarv Evolov at the DraftKings price of 9500 versus Xiong Lu at the DraftKings price of 6700 And Mozarv Evolov and Xiong Lu, this is actually a rematch. So these two guys fought back, I believe, in like 2014 or so. And Mozarv was just getting started. I believe he was one fight into his pro career. And Xiong Lu, he was, I think, like 12 fights in. And Mozarv was able to wrestle Zinglong, take advantage of the grappling exchanges, just put it on him, win an easy, uh, unanimous decision against him. And ever since then, ever since then, these two guys' careers have been taking a opposite trajectory. In regards to Mosarv going in with him, he trains at Tiger Muay Thai, which is a very good gym over there in Thailand. On top of that, he's been fighting at M1 Global against really good competition. Young guy, 11-0, undefeated, and in his recent UFC debut, he fought against an Asian fighter named Choi. But anyway, long story short, showed absolute impressive wrestling chops. This got in and kept shooting, kept taking him down. Relentless pressure, relentless gas tank. Young guy, getting better each and every fight. His striking isn't necessarily all that, but from a fundamental standpoint, he keeps his hands up, which is very, very, very good. And on top of that as well, he keeps the pressure. Like I said, his wrestling's impressive. And then DraftKings, if you're able to get a lot of takedowns, get transitions, relentless pace, I like that. I like that. I like that a lot. And with Zheng Hong Lu, like I mentioned before, he lost to Mozart whenever he was a young pro. And ever since then, he's been fighting at sweatshops. He's been fighting at the local barbecues in Thailand. Like, he's been fighting absolute bum competition and just collecting checks and now he's taking this actual bout here 
on I think it's about six, five days notice or so. It's not good, man. Like it just it's not a good situation because Mozart's been getting better. Mozart was actually getting ready for an even tougher opponent before he got taken out. And now he's coming in. Maybe he sees something, maybe he's on something that will give him an edge and you know he'll take the Usada suspension or something. I don't know. But going into the fight prediction, Mozart wins this by unanimous decision. I wouldn't even be surprised if Mozart finishes him. Takedown pressure is too much. Younger fighter. Gotten better since their uh, first match. On top of that as well, undefeated has been facing really legit competition in M1. And with Zing Long, even though I wasn't able to go too deep into his strengths or anything, I mean, he's a brawler. He's a brawler, and he's able to take down his competition he's faced, but his competition is, it sucks. It's not good competition whatsoever, man. And now he's coming in at short notice, and he has a puncher's chance. And going into the DraftKings price at 6700 his that chance, I mean, that's a good chance, a good pump play. Let me see if he comes in here, and then he knocks out Mozart, or he happens to have his number. But Mozart, even though he is the most expensive fighter at 9500 he's definitely rosterable. He's one of my favorite $9,000 plays. I have him in a lot of slots. If you like what i like if you like what i how i broke him down definitely roster him but if you like to take that boom or bust play at 6700 against the six day notice fighter zhang hong lu then do what you got to do and the next bout we have misukui inoue at the draft king price of 8300 versus yanan wu at the draft king price of 7900 and uh, Mizuki, I'm sorry, Mizuki Inoue at the DraftKings price of 8300 Let's go into her. So this girl, she's been fighting in Invicta for quite some time. And she's fought good competition. Looking at her stand-up, she has more of like a traditional Taekwondo style whenever she does strike. The strikes don't necessarily look devastating, but they're quick. Her footwork is quick. She likes to throw a 1-2. Or at times when the opponent is coming in, she likes to counter with the overhand right and a move here and there. But where her bread is primar primarily buttered is takedowns, getting her opponent to the ground, and her grappling slash submission chops are really respectable. Whenever she does take a girl down and they don't have any way to, if they don't have like any good ground defense, she's able to slice through with transitions. She's able to slice through their guard and through their half guard and everything like butter, get submissions. Now, if, if she's not able to get submissions, she's able to get ground and pound, score in that fashion. And even if uh, Mizuki Inoue gets taken down herself, she attacks arm bars, she scrambles, She just she's not a lame duck. And now, even though she, another thing too, she is making her UFC debut, and she typically fights at 115 pounds, but she's taking this bout at 125 pounds. But I'm not too worried because looking at her opponent, Yanan Wu, at the DraftKings price of 7,900, even though you see the measurable heights, 059, 66 inch reach, this girl's way bigger than the 54, 64 inch reach, um, Mizuki Inoue. Yanan Wu is bum on bum, man. This girl is sloppy, man. Like, sloppy Joe. Like, it's not good at all. Like, you would think, like, whenever I was doing the tape study, I was like, okay, this girl's pretty big. She probably has an edge on Mizuki. She's been in the UFC. She's fought twice. No. Girl's super sloppy. Whenever she's standing up or whenever she's, whenever she's doing her MMA things, it just, she looks confused. She looks like she's having a hard time, like, computing what she wants to do. And in her initial bout, I believe she fought a, a, a chick named Gina or something like that, was getting wrestled. And Gina was a way smaller chick than her. And against Lauren Mueller, and Lauren Mueller is an absolute jobber in regards to women's MMA. Lauren Mueller dropped Yana Wu. But Yana Wu, I guess she was on her P's and Q's that night because she was able to score a first round armbar after getting dropped. But man, it's super hard to trust this girl. I mean, the only good things I really see from her is this her size. She did show some submission chops. Okay, that's good. You got an armbar. That's awesome and such. But then other than that, man, like just her overall MMA, MMA game is an absolute mess. And going into the fight prediction, I see uh, Mizuki Inoue winning this bout by submission. Even though she's coming into a bigger weight class and facing a bigger opponent, I believe this is the biggest opponent she's faced on paper, Mizuki is technically sound in regards to she knows what she wants to do on the feet. She has the athleticism. She has the speed advantage for sure. She has the striking advantage for sure. And in regards to takedowns 
and ground transitions, big time advantage for sure in regards to this bout. And when Yana Wu, I mean, the only way I can see her winning is if she really cleaned up her game, came in here, used her size, and bullied Mizuki. Because Mizuki can get bullied, but then I, I don't see it happening. I, I just I see another slop fest. And then going into the DraftKings price, Mizuki at 8300 Man, that's a good price. I have her rostered a lot as well because I seriously think she's going to come in here. Even though she's coming in short notice, I seriously think she's going to come in, be able to take Yana Wu to the ground, and score a submission if not score a submission takedowns transitions ground and pound and such she i feel her i feel she's going to score probably around 70 ish points 80 points or so she's going to have a really really good performance in this regard and yana wu at 7900 if she was a lot cheaper she would be a real good pump play in regards to oh can she use her size to do what she needs to do but 7900 man that is way too expensive you're looking now towards close to the $8,000, and like I described, how sloppy this lady is, really hard to trust her at that price, really hard to, man, if you think size matters, roster her, in the next bout, we have Kenyon Song at the DraftKings price of $8,200 versus Derek Krantz at the DraftKings price of $8,000, and with Kenyon Song at $8,200, he's had three respective UFC bouts, and his game is counter-striking. He has a real crisp backhand. If you come in stupid, he will crack you with that shot. But then if you're able to, you know, fight pretty smart, or if you're able to pressure him, it's pretty, it, those respective tools that I describe are pretty good with stifling him. Whenever he does try to, like, get aggressive and come forward and push the pressure, his striking, I wouldn't, it's still crisp, but it isn't as crisp as his counter striking. And if you look at his initial UFC debut, he's able to score a really quick knockout. He was an underdog in that bout. Like I said, quick backhand, caught his opponent coming. It was Bobby Nash. Yeah, he fought Bobby Nash, caught Bobby Nash coming in stupid, took care of him, did what he needed to do. And his next respective bout, he fought against uh, some Hispanic guy. I forgot his name. But long story short, he was getting taken down. He was getting worked that fight. I'm talking about Keon Song. But then in the second round, he was able to come in quick. This is him being the aggressor and score a quick knockout. But then his latest bout against Alex Moraz, if I'm saying his name correctly, Alex Moraz just got grimy with Keon Song. This got grimy through overhand rights, which was hitting Keon Song and just made it a nasty fight and Kenyon Song I mean he was he was game he was coming back he was fighting back whenever he got taken down he got back up he didn't let this lay there and say okay you got me kind of thing but like I said primarily a counter striker doesn't really go for takedowns if he does get taken down he'll pop back up but other than that just yeah that's that's basically what he brings to the table and if you look at his opponent Derek Krantz Derek Krantz uh primarily a brawler man a brawler that mixes in takedowns was a previous lfa champ and whenever he did come into the ufc he fought against Vasante luque who's a top-notch welterweight prospect he fought Vasante luque at short notice on top of that as well i heard in the recent interview that when he fought Vasante luque he had five days to cut 27 pounds and whenever he went in there he was able to pressure Luque. I think he wobbled Luque a little bit, and he was able to score a takedown against Luque as well, which was also really impressive. But if you look at this guy's weaknesses, keeps his hands relatively low, super brawly. He is hittable, and strength-wise, like I said, that brawliness can be a strength as well because he mixes in takedowns as well. He's not like a takedown maestro, but it's a good little blend versus I'm just going to go crazy like Chris Lieben, leave my chin out there, and you can crack me. And plus, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt of his last battle against Vasante because Vasante is a big, way, way, way more credentialed opponent than Kenyon Song. And he was compromised in that fight. But going into the fight prediction, I see Derek Krantz winning this bout by a close decision. And it just goes back to the same thing I mentioned about Mark De La Rosa versus Kai Kara France. Derek Krantz will be susceptible to be getting cracked by that Kenyan song backhand whenever he does come in brawly, whenever he does come in crazy and all that such. But the X factor here is his griminess, his toughness and such. It kind of reminds me of the Alex Moroz fight. Alex Moroz, like I mentioned before, is the opponent that beat Kenyon Song in his previous fight. And I like the takedown edge as well. If he's able to get in there, mix in takedowns, 
dump Kenyon Song down. Like, just make this a nasty, nasty, grimy fight. If he wants to just purely keep it stand-up, then he's going to lose this fight. Kenyon Song will just counter him all day and knock him out or get an easy decision in his home country. But like I said, I see Derek Krantz winning this bout, but he has to play this fight right. In regards to the DraftKings price, if you see 8200 for Kenyon Song and 8000 for Derek Krantz, this is an absolute pick em fight. Super close fight. This is how DraftKings sees it. This is how the bookies see it. Whatever. If you believe that the counter-striking, the Kenyon Song will be able to, to catch the sloppy, coming forward, brawly style of Derek Krantz, 8200 definitely roster Kenyon Song. But you're looking at either a good 90 point, maybe like higher 80 point, 100 point performance if he's able to score the knockdown or get a couple of knockdowns to score a lot of strikes. But if he's not able to do that and he just wins a very close decision, I see it maybe being like a 60 point effort. But if you believe in Derek Krantz and you like the takedown edge that he brings, if you like the broadness that he brings, if you think he's going to be an absolute different individual than he was when he fought for Sante Luque, then the DraftKings price at 8000 is definitely worth a shot to see what he can do. Also see Derek Krantz being super low-owned. And compared to Yana Wu, that, that mess of a fighter that I talked about previously, you could just pay 100 extra more bucks, get an $8,000 Derek Krantz in a super close matchup, and if he wins, hey, you got a slate. You got a slate edge. In the next bout, we have Anthony Hernandez at the DraftKings price of eighty-eight hundred versus Jong Yong Park at the DraftKings price of seventy-four hundred. And looking at Anthony Hernandez, six and one, he's fought twice in the UFC. He fought the Dana White Contender Series, won that fight by a super quick knock. That was like a forty-second knock or so. And in his previous bout, he lost by submission, but. Marcus Perez, who beat Anthony Hernandez, super legit opponent, good opponent, no fault in that fight. And looking at Anthony Hernandez's strengths, he's he's he comes forward. He's kind of brawly, but then at the same time, he he ties stuff together. It's kind of like a Derek Cran situ situation with him. He's able to come forward, put his strikes together. If he's able to crack you with a strike and hurt you, then he'll finish you that way. But if he's able to get in, he has this really nasty guillotine that he's able to hit from standing or on the ground, either way. And also, he has clinch takedowns that he likes to work with from there. So, that's that's a pretty good scenario that he brings into the fight. But in regards to weaknesses, like I mentioned before, still young in the UFC with that 6-1 record, lost his previous bout. He is hittable, especially with that brawly style as well. But then, whenever he did get hit in his previous fight he got hurt to the body oh and he also got dropped in the first round as well i forgot to mention that as well he's not super chinny but then it's like it's it's uh, a double-edged sword in regards to that crazy wild style and then uh looking at jung young park jung young park is making his ufc debut he's a fighter from south korea like i said he's fought super weak competition and what he necessarily brings is a, just a brawly style. Like, if you sit back and you want to play, like, a tit-for-tat game, he'll just pop a jab. He'll throw a right hand. Super, It's not super sloppy, but it's not the best technique. And he's content to win a fight in that fashion. But if you come forward at him, then he'll just unload with hooks, throw crazy. Hopefully, he catches your chin and hurts you. In regards to weaknesses, I see with him, his takedown defense isn't necessarily good. If you're able to pressure him, which he's happy to back himself up against the cage due to forward pressure and get underneath his legs or tie him up and trip him and just get grimy with him, he'll fall to the ground. He will get back up, but then it's not a very good technical stand-up, if you know what I mean. And then going into the fight prediction, I see Anthony Hernandez winning this bout by either KO or submission. Like, this is Anthony Hernandez losing his last bout against Marcus Perez. It's good for a young fighter. You lose that bout, you get pissed off, you lose your O in your undefeated record. Now you're hungry, you want to get in there, you want to get it back, you know, you want to do it right. And the UFC is setting him up pretty well here in China against his uh, debutante in Zhang Yun Park, who has a super limited MMA game, especially in regards to the stand-up. Also, I forgot to mention with Jung Young Park, he keeps his chin high, man. This dude doesn't really move his head. Like, he's able to throw strikes back and such, but his head is there for the pickings. Like, it's like a double M bag. Like, if you he'll hit you back, he'll come back at you, but if you hit him, then, I mean, he'll hit back to you. You get what I'm saying. 
And like I said, Anthony Hernandez can win this fight by knockout. He can hurt him, take him to the ground, and hit him, and hit him with that signature guillotine he's been getting a lot of people with, especially in the regional scene before he came into the UFC. And then going to the DraftKings price at 8800 Anthony Hernandez, he, man, one thing I will say, spoiler alert here for the episode, is a lot of good mid to higher $8,000 plays on this respective card. A lot of good ones, especially with good matchups. Anthony Hernandez is one of them. Can this fight get brawly? Can this fight be a stalemate that goes to a decision or something? It can definitely happen, but I, I think Anthony Hernandez is hungry to get a finish and to avenge his first loss. Jung Young Park is the perfect opponent to get that done. 8,800, I think I think he scores a finish here. First or second round finish, I see an 80 to 90 point performance. Shit, even a 100 point performance from Anthony Hernandez. I see him getting it done. And with Jung Young Park at 7,400, it goes back to the situation of... It's, it's just a situation of, do you think he can come in here and make this a grimy fight? Or he's able to come in and catch Anthony Hernandez coming forward and knock him out? I'll let you know this. Jung Young Park doesn't necessarily have one hit or quitter power from what I saw from the tape. And I just don't want to mess with him. He's a debutante. He's going against a hungry UFC veteran. And it's I, I, I just don't trust him. But if you do, then take it to the park. In the next bout, we have Andre Sukumtov at the DraftKings price of 8600 versus Sui Madar. Modadri, if I'm saying that correctly, at the DraftKings price of 7600 And with Andre Sukumtoth, he's a tested UFC veteran. He's been in the game for a super long time. Fought Sean O'Malley. He fought uh, Jonathan Martinez. He looked really good in that Jonathan Martinez fight. And his recent fight, he lost against Montel Jackson, who's an up-and-coming UFC contender. So no shame in losing to him. And with Andre Sukumtoth, what he brings to the table is he trains at Hard Knocks 365, the same gym that Derek Brunson and Kamara Usman train at. So really good facility there. Brings good forward pressure. Grimy fighter. Has a great chin. He also has respectable pop in his hands. His striking isn't necessarily the cleanest, but he's able to put his hands together. He can hurt you. Not only that, he's able to press you, get forward on you, wrap up your legs, dump you, do what he needs to do. To, in order to make this fight grimy and tough. If I look at any respective weaknesses, I would say the biggest weakness is his fight IQ. He does super questionable stuff at times, and it makes you wonder, like, dude, you could be dominating this fight. Why are you doing this and making this fight a lot more harder than yourself? Good example is the Sean O'Malley uh, loss that he took, where Sean O'Malley was literally, he, I think he broke his ankle or something, and Sukumtah took him to the ground. And then it went all the way till the time expired, and he lost by decision. All he had to do was let him get up, and he would have lost the fight. Like, this is terrible fight IQ. He makes questionable decisions. On top of that as well, sometimes he falls too in love with his hands. And whenever he is in grappling exchanges, sometimes he kind of gets lackadaisical and such. Again, that goes all the way back to his fight IQ. But then looking at his opponent against Sue Madadre uh, at the DraftKings price of 7600 This is his second fight in the UFC. Yes, he's fighting back in his home country, China. And this guy reminds me of an Asian Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Those super flashy kicks, flying knees, like moves in and out, kind of like this uh, Taekwondo karate style and such. Really great. But then we have to pump the brakes. If you look at this guy's weaknesses, whenever he styles on fools, it's back in the regional scenes. These fools are 0-1, 0-8, 8-16, Horrid records. Terrible, man. Just really bad records. But then whenever he goes against legitimate competition, where if you look at his respective losses, especially his UFC debut against Luis Smolka, and then there's these two regional fights that he lost as well, which got with guys with respectable records, he just gets shut down. Guys just get in his face. They grapple him. They shut down that flashy, dashy stuff. And typically, he put up a fight on the ground. He'll try to scramble, get back up do all this such but other than that man like he just he doesn't he's his game can get shut down pretty quick now one thing i will give him he's a young guy he can get better and he can come out here be completely comfortable and go back to his wonder boy kind of style but looking at this from a fight prediction standpoint i see andre sukumtoth winning this bout if andre sukumtoth this doesn't you know 
wet the bed, if he just doesn't have a brain fart in the middle of this bout and let uh, Sumadarje come in and then just do his Wonder Boy karate kind of flying knee, spinning back kick kind of style on him and this gets in his face, gets grimy, takes him down, literally just get in his face and just shut that game down, he should be able to win this bout pretty easily by decision. But if Sukumtov comes in here brain dead and decides to take the day off, Sumadre is a live dog in his bout and he could possibly edge him out on the scorecards. Looking at the DraftKings price at 8600 like I mentioned previously, there's a lot of good mid to, there's a lot of good mid, there's a lot of good $8,000 price fighters on this respective DraftKings slate. But with Andre Sukumtov, even though his DraftKings price looks good at 8600 and his matchup looks good as well, the fight IQ really scares me in regards to will he go out there and do what he needs to do and score that 100-point effort like he did against Martinez, or will he go out here, start messing around and such, and then give me like a 40-point effort or a 50-point effort or so. I'll put him in a couple of lineups, but he's definitely not like, he's not like a, oh, I really like this guy, putting him everywhere, like a Mizuki Inoue, the 8,300 chick that I talked about previously. And with Sumadarji Suma, uh, at the DraftKings price of 7,600, he definitely is a live dog. If Sukumtot decides to get dumb, um, can he win this bout by knockout or so? I don't know. It just goes back to the whole thing of if he faces good competition, he tends to get shut down a bit. I will give him like, hey, he may have gotten better and such, but then he doesn't really come from a notable team. But at 7,600, I feel like that's a bit too expensive to see if he can make it do what it do. And I I just think Sukumtov comes in, handles him, gets the job done, and moves on. In the next bout, we have uh, Kadis Ibramgov at the DraftKings price of 9300 versus Don Ung Chung at the DraftKings price of 6900 And with Kadis Ibramgov, he's coming into this bout short notice. In fact, both of these fighters are making their UFC debut, but Kadis Ibramgov is coming in short notice in this bout. I believe he's coming in with like six, five days notice or something like that. It's really short notice. And the thing about this kid is he's a Sambo champion. He fought at M1 Global, which M1 Global is a pretty legit regional Russian pro MMA uh, promotion. Really good promotion to be fighting in and such. And in those respective bouts, what I noticed from the tape is from the stand-up, he is a bit green there. He kind of gets a little brawly. He kind of like he kind of like puts his head down and does one of these. It kind of goes crazy and such. But whenever opponents try to engage him in the grappling exchanges or let's say he catches an opponent's kick and he engages in the grappling exchanges by like tripping their leg or something his sambo man it's real good like i haven't seen him getting taken down once he whenever people try to take him down he has like this really good wizard where he can he's able to reverse that and get like a throw off of that or something like it's really impressive and whenever whenever he's on top he has noticeable top control like i said back to that sambo uh background and such and he's able to either secure a submission from there or he's able to do ground and pound and such but if you look at his weaknesses i would say one is him coming in at short notice six to five days uh, i i don't know like it just i mean it's it, it's something definitely to keep an eye on in regards to making this ufc debut and traveling all the way to china on short notice on top of that as well his striking is just his striking sloppy, man. Like he just he tries to just throw and go for your head, but then he's hitting Casper the friendly ghost. He's hitting you know the the wind. He's just it's it's ugly. I mean, looking at his opponent Dong On Jong, Dong On Jong, he's had a full camp for this card uh, for this upcoming card. He has fought. He was supposed to fight two initial opponents, but they fell out. And uh, Kadis Ibrungov was the last opponent they were able to pull in at last notice. So he's been getting ready. He's been doing what he needs to do. He's near China. He's able to get there, and, and he has a full camp ready to go. If you look at what he brings to the table, he has very meat and potato striking in regards to his one-two jab. He, he's really good at distance control. Like He's able like to pop the jab, pop the straight move his feet, things like that. This keeps everything super technical. Doesn't really open up unless he has the opponent hurt. Another thing too I notice as well is whenever he does get taken down, he gets immediately back up. He does not play around. He pushes the head. He gets his hips out. Like he just does a really impressive job in regards to that. 
If you look at his respective weaknesses, his opponents have been weak compared to Kadis Ibrungov's opponents. He's been facing like 40-year-olds and he's been facing guys with like like four and six records and such. Like I said, doesn't really look good, but looking at the technical aspects, like I talked about with the striking, that looks good as well. Looking into the fight prediction, Dong Ung Chung, I'm going to say it now, is my DraftKings underdog lock. But here's what needs to go down in regards to this fight and why I think he needs, why I think he wins. I like the full camp. I like the fact that Kadis Ibrungov is coming in short notice. I get it. He has a lot of hype behind him, good promotion, but six to five days coming in short notice. I don't know. Like, I just, I don't like that. On top of that as well, Dong Eun Chong, he has really good distance control. He moves his feet well and such. He is hittable. He doesn't have great head movement. So if he's like planting his feet and such, he can get clipped by one of those wild strikes. But Kadis Imbrungov, he, he he's not like a one-hitter quitter kind of guy. And I feel like if Dong Eun Chong is able just to pop a one-two leg kick here, leg kick there, stay smart, is able to keep his cardio. If Kadis does take him down, if it does happen, if he gets right back up and punishes him for taking him down and such, he can probably win this bout 29-28 or even 30-27. Like, I mean, that's just what I feel. And But if he decides to get in there, be dumb, or if Kadis Ibrungov is the real deal, as his DraftKings price shows, then... I'll eat all the crow. I'll eat it with hot sauce. It is what it is. But Dong Eun Chong is my underdog lock of this respective card. And with Kadis Ibrungov at 9,300, like I said, a lot of hype behind this kid. A lot of people like him. From the tape, he's definitely going to be a beast in the future. But I just don't really see what he brings in this respective match to warn that 9,300 price. I'll stick him in one lineup. So to see, like, hey, if he's legit, kind of like a hedge play, like if he does what he needs to do, okay, cool. Like, I'll put him in. But like I said, these $9,000 price guys, there's not a lot of sexy picks in regards to this. So you got to be like, man, hopefully you get in there, you do what you need to do. And with Dung Eun Chung at 6900 bargain basement, super cheap. Man, if he gets me a win, he scores 60, 65, shoot, maybe even 58 points. I'm happy with that because I got a lot more room to put a lot more big-time plays in my respective DraftKings lineup. In the next bout, we have Demir Ismugulov at the DraftKings price of nine thousand versus Tiago Moise at draft at the DraftKings price of seventy two hundred, and with Demir Ismugulov, this guy man striking is super impressive. And what I mean by super impressive, he has like a weird cadence where he's able to faint. He attacks the body, he attacks the head, he leg kicks like he he's like. He does what he needs to do to win the fight. So he's had two respective UFC bouts. In his first respective UFC bout, he went against an individual who had a weak ground game. He scored five takedowns in that bout. And in regards to scoring those five takedowns, he, was, he set it up with his hands. He was able to get his hands on him. He was able to, like, pop, pop, you know, faint, faint, move, move, move. And most of these guys in the UFC, they can't box. But Demir, he brings a basic boxing regimen into this. Like I said, good cadence and such, was able to mix it up, do what he needs to do, confuse his opponent, score takedowns, awesome. And his next bout, he went against, uh, I believe that the guy's name was Alvarez or something, not not a big time fighter, but anyway, this guy was dangerous on the ground, and Demir was like, okay, I'll just keep it standing. And even though Demir was the shorter fighter, Demir just went in there and just put his hands together, man, like really impressive hands, really impressive cadence, really impressive record. He comes from M1 Global as well, and... He has that one loss, but that one loss was was debatable because I, I believe it came from a doctor stoppage or something dumb. He was winning the fight. Like, he should be undefeated. Really good fighter. Really like what I bring to the table. If there's any weaknesses, whenever he does shoot takedowns and he doesn't set them up with his hands, and when he shoots them from space, they're not very good. Like, they, they're... They're very, like, he's heads down such. Like, if you go against a real good jujitsu ace, there he will be able to catch his neck, get him in the guillotine, get him out of there. But other than that... uh Another weakness as well from a DraftKings perspective, he does what he needs to do to win the fight. So, like I mentioned, in his first bout in the UFC, he scored like 89 points because he mixed in takedowns and the strikes. But in his second bout, he didn't shoot any takedowns. He just struck and won all three rounds, but he scored 62 points. And he was $9,000 in two of those respective bouts. And he's $9,000 here. So what does that mean? Let's go into his opponent, Tiago Moise. And Tiago Moise trains at American Top Team. He, I believe he's like a brown belt, black belt in jiu-jitsu. But this guy, is just, he's a statue, man. Like, he'll move. He'll keep his hands up. He does that well. But then his output, his output sucks. 
Like, what he typically tries to do, he tries to keep his hands up. If punches come in, he try, tries to catch it on his elbows or something and then come back and strike back. But then other than that, this guy is literally, I think he's doing his grocery list or something when he's fighting. Like, he just doesn't show any urgency. In his UFC, the only time he only showed the only time he showed urgency was in his Dana White in the Dana White Contender Series when he came in. He was like aggressive and such, scored a quick first round knockout. Fights Benil Darush was primarily a wrestler, and another thing I noticed is if you put pressure on him like Darush did, and you're just pushing him and such, whether it's in the grappling or striking department, he freezes, man. He absolutely freezes. He doesn't really throw anything back. It's terrible. He scored eight points in that bout. Terrible. In his Previous fight, his most recent fight against uh, Kurt Holabaugh, he did good. He mixed in takedowns. He w had good top control. He had transitions, ground and pound. I think he scored like 92 points in that bout. Did well. But then when you look at his takedowns, his takedowns aren't that, they're not technically sound. They're mostly muscled. They're kind of slow motion. Like a guy like Demir will be able to stuff him. So going into the fight prediction, I see Demir uh, is Mongol winning this bout by decision. He's going to be able to put his strikes together. He's going to be able to hit to the body and the head and such. And with Tiago, man, Tiago, he's going to be able to swing back and such. But when Tiago's getting pressure, whether on the feet or in the grappling exchanges, he just doesn't do enough to close the gap. Now, Tiago can possibly come in with a grappling heavy game plan and put Demir on his back constantly. And that could possibly get him the win. Especially now, let's go into the drafting price. Let's go to, to, to Tiago at 7,200. If he's able to come in there and do that, man, that's going to be a bang for the buck. Bang for the buck. But then it's kind of scary because personally speaking, I don't think he can do it. If you believe he can do it, put him in your roster. He's a good $7,000 play if he does that. In regards to Demir, I don't like him at $9,000 either. Unless he's able to score takedowns with the strikes and such. Because even though he has crisp strikes, he doesn't really like sleep people. Like he just like puts really good definitive strikes together to steal rounds. I could see him be like, I'm not going to the ground with this high level jiu-jitsu guy. I'm just going to strike him, score 60 points. Be happy, take my win home, do what I need to do. And he's $9,000, too expensive, man. I don't really want to invest in this respective matchup in DraftKings. But if you if you have a hunch on one side or the other, then both guys are rosterable. In the next bout, we have Donna Batagaral at 8,500 versus Healy Alantang at 7,700. I butchered both of those names. Both of these guys are making their respective UFC debut. Looking at Dana Batagar, he's from Mongolia uh, at the draft king price of 8,500, 6-1 record. This guy is primarily a brawler. He comes forward, his hands are kind of low, he swings big, wild hooks, and he's able to catch people. I wouldn't say he's able to catch people because he's technically sound, but because he's able to you know, have good pressure and such. In one bout, he showed good takedown defense, but then what I noticed in his other bouts, I guess his two most recent bouts, especially the bout he lost, whenever he does get taken down, man, it's typically it's typically because he gets out-hustled, and whenever he, he has is on the bottom and his opponent's on top of him, it doesn't really show an urgency to get back up. And other than that, I mean, I wasn't able to get much of a read on this guy other than he's a brawler. If he gets taken down and he gets worked on top or out-hustled, doesn't really do too much. And his competition, like I mentioned before, super weak, man. And looking at uh, Hilly Alatong at 7,700, yes, you look at the record 12-7-1, you'd be like, uh, this guy's record's not very good. But he did fight Song Yadong. And if you've seen the previous DraftKings Sessions episodes, you know I respect that boy Song Yadong, man. That guy is nice. But anyway, he lost to Song Yadong. And he lost a couple of bouts in the beginning. But recently, he's been putting it together. And he's been putting together some good wins. Looking at his uh, strengths, he's mostly like a counter-striker. He's able to, like come in like kind of sneak into striking range and when he does get into like punching range or such he has quick hands in regards to his backhand like he has like really surprising strikes which whenever he's able to get his knockdowns and such it's because he surprises people like oh sh where'd you come from kind of thing you know looking at his respective weaknesses dk wise striking wise like he doesn't have a lot of output unless he is pressured or unless the opponent gets him a lot of an opening another thing too he has been finished a couple of times so it makes you wonder like how durable is his chin and such but it's been able to hold up especially in his most recent 
uh, winning streak. Oh, another strength I forgot to mention as well is he does have takedowns from multitudes of angles in regards to the clinch. He has a good double leg. He has a good single leg. And whenever he does execute those takedowns, he's able to sneak them in with his striking. Like He sets it up pretty well. Also, I read something on the internet in regards to him training at the UFC, uh, I believe it's called the institution, the fighter institution or something in China. So you know like the UFC is really trying to push him. He's the China, Chinese fighter going against the Mongolian fighter, and they want him to come out here, showcase, get the Chinese people hype, do what they need to do. Going into the fight prediction, like I said, this was a pretty hard fight to get a lean on. But I'm going with the underdog, Haley Alatang, to win this bout by decision. I like his takedown edge he brings in here. His striking is a lot more crisper than Dana Batagarli. Dana Batagarli can get, you know, aggressive. He could possibly bully Heliolatong or catch him with his aggressive brawly style. But like I said, he keeps his hands low. He's super hittable. The takedown aspect, he's super susceptible there. And I just don't really see Heliolatong coming in here and messing around and acting dumb or doing anything to jeopardize his UFC debut in China, and then going to the DraftKings price at 8,500. Don't really like that price for Dana Batagarli. I I think he's I think he should have been like in the 7,000s or so. But like I said, if you think he is going to score a knockout, more than likely he will be lowly owned. So if he goes in here and wins this bout or scores big, then you have an advantage of a lowly owned fighter on this respective slate. But then with Hilly Alatang at 7,700. Mm, a little bit up there, but then I feel like this is a super winnable fight. He could possibly get a finish, or he's, he could possibly score a lot of takedowns and do what he needs to do. So that would be awesome as well. But that's my lean on this respective bout. And finally, we have the opener, Laura Prosocopio at the DraftKings price of 8400 versus Carl Rosa at the DraftKings price of 7800 Both of these women are from Brazil. Both of these women are also making their debut. This isn't a very good card. Like, you notice there's a lot of people making their debut. They're getting people from Mongolia. They're getting people from Antarctica. They're getting people from Greenland. It, it, it's a mess. But anyway, two respective women MMA fighters. And as you can tell, Laura Prosocopio going into her pedigree it was really hard to get a lot of tape or a lean on this fight but with her she trains with Novion Yao which is the same gym that Jose Otto trains at also another thing I noticed with her as well is she's an aggressive chick she's able to score submissions off her back or she's able to score submissions from up top as well if I look at any weaknesses her striking is super sloppy on top of her striking being super sloppy it's just I, I mean like these women MMA bouts, I mean, they can go any which way. And then looking at Carlo Rosa as well, like I mentioned before, I don't really know of the name of her team that she trains with, but it's not like a super high-octane team. On top of that as well, she is aggressive. She will come forward. Her striking isn't the best. She'll try to grapple and such, but her takedowns aren't necessarily convincing. On top of that as well, she kind of leaves herself open to be submitted. Like she like whenever she shoots her like chin, like her neck's exposed. All this stuff, it's not good. And so, if anyone has jujitsu chops to like do what they need to do, this girl can be submitted. But then this girl, I mean, she's a pretty big girl. Like if she gets on top of you and like mounts you or anything like that. And you you just you're just a quitter or whatever the case may be. She can win by TKO, but that's just mostly like it's. This is gonna be a sloppy fight. Fight prediction: Laura Pio. I can see her winning this bout by submission. And uh, I mean anything can happen. Carlo can take her down and whatever. Like I just I just I, Laura Pasapio. I just see her getting the job done in regards to the respective bout. It's a very low-level women's MMA bout. Draft King Rise with Laura Pasapio at 8,400. I don't really like that price. I mean, like I said, she's going to be low-owned. So if she goes in there and gets that submission, she's low-owned, and you get an edge. You know, you get an edge with that in that in this respective slate. But then I think you pay a hundred dollars less and get. Misiko Mizuki Inouye at 8,300. I mean, I, I like her matchup. I like what she brings in here compared to uh, Laura. Mikala Rose at 7,800. I mean, it's the same situation with uh, Wana Yu. Like, this is, this is, I'm drawing parallels between these two fights because 7,800 is just expensive. Like, Carl can come in here and get the job done and such, and she can be lonely on as well, but she, she should be a lot more lower. Like, the lower $7,000 fighters are a lot more appealing than these upper $7,000 fighters, you know? So, it's it's a confusing situation. This is a 
this is a, a low competition matchup. It, it, it just isn't good, but it is what it is. And I want to thank you for tuning in to the 10th episode of the Make That Money DraftKings Sessions episodes here. If you didn't ever play DK like I mentioned before, go ahead, click on it below. And if you have played DK, just go ahead, like, subscribe, do what we need to do. I believe I mentioned this in the beginning of the episode, but I'll mention it again. We are super, super, super close to 100 subscribers on YouTube. We get 100 subscribers on YouTube. I am going to do a live, live video of UFC 242 Khabib versus Poirier next week. Please like, please subscribe, share this. If y'all have any ideas, please drop it into the comments. People won money on UFC 241. They dropped that into the comments as well. I love when I hear that. I'm here for y'all. Y'all don't have to watch all this crazy tape and such. Y'all can just listen to this. Get into DraftKings. Make that money plain and simple. Thank you so much, guys. See y'all next week for UFC 242. Khabib versus Poirier. And we're out.